All right, folks, the fantasy football season is officially done. And today, we're going to branch off into a category that hits us all near and dear, the fantasy football bust. Today's topic, the main topic, is to cover what happened to Jonathan Taylor and some of the other top backs in fantasy football. Was it injuries? Was it bad offensive line play? Was it just the offensive scheme? We're here to break it down on today's show, whether or not this is a fluke or are we fading these guys in 2023. Before we do, we want to make sure this falls across the board. At Razzball Fantasy on YouTube, IG, and TikTok. Make sure you hop over here right now. Not only do we do football, we do basketball, hockey, and baseball, folks. So we'll be dropping content for all those sports all off-season long for the football season as well. But, of course, make sure you go to Razzball.com. We have great articles dropping all off-season. Right now, we have we have fantasy football superlatives coming out. We got we got a great fantasy football bust article coming out. We got a bunch of stuff all season long. So go to Razzball.com, subscribe over to the Razzball Fantasy YouTube channel. But today's show is about the what happened to Jonathan Taylor. So let's start the show right now. All right, we brought the man in, the man who wrote that, who broke down a great article that's coming up on Razzball tomorrow about the fantasy football bust, the running back position, Matthew Styles, Styles. Oh wait, Matt, it's been a little bit. What's going on, man? Yeah, it's been a couple of Sundays since uh, Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins ruined uh, Derek and my fantasy football season, and then uh, I figured, okay, it gives the gives the Packers a chance to get in the playoffs, and we man. we all know how that man. ended up. So. Brutal, brutal. Yeah. Honestly, it's been a brutal like, couple of weeks for me, but I did. I actually got so you know when I post my waiver wire article, uh, I've got a lot of folks that have been reading the whole season and they ask a lot of questions, uh, and I always told them, hey, follow up after the season, right? Find the article, follow up, let me know. My guy Rico Suave went two and zero in his finals uh, and won both of his titles. So he he shouted out uh, to Rasball and to and to me for the article. So. It's good to have our readers and our followers go ahead and, and chime in with the victories at the end. Yeah, and honestly, it's great to see, man. Honestly, I got to tell you, I'm disappointed in your Packers, man. Honestly, like, you can't lose that game. I mean, like, what is going on? Like, all the the finger stuff with Rodgers, all the moving parts at receiver, the issues at the, you know, everything going on, it did not matter anymore. You had one game to win at home against the Lions – you have no business losing that game. Do you feel this is Aaron Rodgers' last game, or do you think it's going to – or do you even want to see Jordan Love? What's the deal there for the Packers fans? Well, so the, the Jordan Love effect is if they bring him back next year, it costs them $20 million. So $20 million, if they bring him back, means you probably got to play the kid. I, in watching Aaron Rodgers for as many years as I've watched him, loved him, but we've admitted on this show, right, even I have – he's petty, right? He's, he's just this different dude. Walking off the field with his arm around Randall Cobb and 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 telling uh, the player from the Lions that he wasn't yeah, going to swap jerseys, uh, that he's keeping that one, and and just kind of looking at the emptiness in his in his body language uh, and with his buddy Cobb, knowing that Mercedes Lewis and uh, Mason Crosby aren't free and they're both 39 years old, uh, Lazard's press conference after or his interview after kind of made it sound like maybe he's already planning his way out of town and I, I just I don't think he's coming back I think he's done but right. I also think he could play six more years but not at not at a salary cap hit of 50 million so 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? You're going to have to pay him. Like, I mean, listen, I, I personally under the opinion that this season, I understand he hurt his thumb and the moving parts of the young receivers. It's hard to say that you're better off leaving without Aaron Rodgers. That's probably not the case. But if you don't make the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers, what's the fucking point? Like, if you're not going to make the playoffs and a win and get in at home, just play the young kid. See what you got. Let him grow with the two young receivers. I, I That's what I want to see. Let Rodgers go off somewhere else. All right, let's talk about what happened to Jonathan Taylor. Today's show, I wanted to give the headliner because I feel like a lot of us just at the end of the year, we all know the guys who hurt us. We all know where they were drafted. We know we took them in the first round, second round usually, and they killed us. But the question is, like, at the end of the year, we have to take a reset. Before we move on to 2023, we have to figure out what the hell happened. And I want to talk to it today about a couple running backs, but the key one is Jonathan Taylor. Now, Jonathan Taylor, the first overall pick, RB1. He finishes the season in PPR points per game as the RB16 and 36th overall in flex. That is not what you signed up for at all. And once you factor in some of the games he missed, it's even a bigger hit. But you are an article today breaking this down about Jonathan Taylor. Tell us what you learned about his season and whether or not you think there's optimism in 2023. So injuries be damned, right? We're not going to really touch on injuries because they happen every year. Uh, I will say 2022, I've been, I've been doing this fantasy football thing for since uh, I was 21. I won't tell you how long ago that was, but let's just say it's been a long damn time. And I'm not sure I've seen a, a more strange fantasy football season. Uh, and with that, I, and I'm not even going to use his name anymore. I'm so mad at him, right? He's just 1.01. So he's like a binary figure to me. Uh, right now. And, and I will tell you, I don't think it's his fault. I think he was a little bit dinged up with his foot or his ankle, uh, but he played through it when he played through it. He missed a couple of games. Uh, honestly, I think this came down to the Colts really trusting the fact that Matt Ryan could be a solid quarterback that this relatively close to the same guy that took the Falcons to the Super Bowl. When I watched Matt Ryan closely, behind uh, a pretty Swiss cheese anemic offensive line with no mobility, right? He's just, I put in the article that he was statuesque. He just stood there. Now, something that tells me is maybe Michael Pittman is not as good as Michael Pittman. We thought he was. Um, And from there, I don't know what else they had on offense, right? Paris Campbell, I was high on going to the season. He's not very good in that offense. Michael Pittman didn't look very good. So when when you're putting eight in the box to stop 1.01, he's not going to have a great season. And most of us that went fishing at 1.01, we expected the dude with 18 touchdowns and it didn't happen. And it didn't get close. And I think if I remember the math that I, I, I typed in today, because I'm pretty good at math with a calculator, he was under 80 yards per game when he was fully healthy. And he had two games over 90 yards rushing. Two. Two. Yeah. I mean, so the other thing with Jonathan Taylor, though, is, like, the offensive line play was bad. Like, we talk – you know, one of the key things I talk about is adjusted line yards. They were seventh in the NFL in adjusted line yards in 2021. They fell all the way to 22nd. They just – they lost that continuity, that elite offensive line – did not show up for him either. And it led to them falling off a cliff in points. They went from ninth to 30th in points scored yards, 16th to 27th. Like 
I know we all pretend like Carson Wentz. We all pretend like Matt Ryan was going to be an upgrade, and I'll I'll fell for it a little bit too. But when you're upgrading mid bottom tier mid tier quarterback to top of the mid tier quarterback, it's better. You I'd rather have the continuity. I'd rather have no, the known of Carson Wentz than putting in Matt Ryan in a new system with new players, and and I think that showed this year the most. Like Matt Ryan was not an upgrade that we thought he was going to be, but also. In hindsight, it's easy to say that. But I think moving forward, unless it's like a Matthew Stafford-esque upgrade or a Tom Brady-esque upgrade, I would prefer continuity personally. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and I'm I'm on the same boat. So I'm not drafting 1.01 in the first round and a half, first two rounds, unless what I see happen in the offseason, you and I talked about this right before we went online, Unless what I see in the offseason makes a hell of a lot of sense. A solid draft on offensive line. Uh, I don't care what their defense does, right? I'd prefer that the defense, they were trailing the whole game and had to throw and run and and play offense. Uh, But unless I see, like you said, a quarterback that is somewhat mobile and can play the position better than Matt Ryan, I'm probably not going to touch the guy. Now, mind you, if you would have gone into the season saying, I got 1.01 on my roster, like a super flex league, right? Then you come back with Mahomes or or Allen or one of the one of Lamar Jackson, and you had Matt Ryan as your second quarterback starting the year super flex. You were ecstatic. You're over the moon. And then you probably didn't win a lot of football games because the guy just was not very good. And I think at one point, and he may have ended the season this way, I think he was the number one turnover quarterback, a turnover player in the league. I think he had more turnovers. Uh, and he had more fumbles plus fumbles lost than any other player in the league. I, I think the other thing with JT is it's we don't know right now because we don't know who the coach, coach is going to be. It could be just a whole different situation there. We I, I have to take a wait and see on JT um, because I, I don't know who's going to – if the head coach – I don't – it's tough to figure out who the Colts are kind of looking at. They're looking at Shane Steiton, like all these guys, the Eagles head coach. If he comes over, you're like, oh, wow, they're a very run-heavy approach. Like, that would be good for him. But until I see who the quarterback is, like you said, there's just so much going on with JT. I am, I'm I'm okay with that. Anything else for JT or we're, we're ready to move on? Yeah, m- maybe late second round would be about where I'd feel comfortable in a, in a, uh, a regular league. But, again, it all comes down to what they do in the offseason. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Dalvin Cook. And so uh, when I was looking at this from ju- – I know this he's not the biggest bust. He's not. But he extremely disappointed. He was the RB5, eighth overall. He finished in points per game in PPR, 14th running back, and 32nd overall. Like that's a late third-round pick value for a guy who we thought, okay, Kevin O'Connell's coming in. You got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. This offense is going to be big time. So I'm thinking to myself, like, Dalvin Cook, by the way, hey, folks, Dalvin Cook played the whole season. He didn't get hurt. And instead of him becoming even a more of a factor in fantasy, he ended up taking a step back. So it really piqued my interest to figure out what the hell happened to Dalvin Cook. And what I found, first of all, is the first thing I noticed I wanted to see was uh, his touches. And his touches came down significantly. So he averaged 21, 25, and 21.8 touches per game the three previous seasons with Mike Zimmer and company. This year, he went down to 17.8. So he lost four touches a game from last year and almost eight touches a game from two years ago. So 
that's huge. I mean, when you start factoring in guys and how many fantasy points they get per touch, it's about that's about four points getting eat right away because it's about losing a point per touch essentially in those things. And the other thing I thought to myself was, okay, is that a fluke or is that going to keep going? Because it's Kevin O'Connell, like they immediately went more pass heavy, and that shows in in Kirk Cousins' stats as they did throw the ball more, but they also threw the ball, ball more in the red zone. So that's a huge factor here. So when I was looking at the touches, he had 300 touches this year. I was like, oh, shit, that's great. But, like, when you start looking at the 300 touches, his red zone carries went down to 39. Previous year, 45. Two years ago, he had 64 red zone touches. The premium touches. He only had six red zone touchdowns. Two years ago, he had 13. So right there, you're like, okay, he's getting almost half the red zone carries that he was getting two years ago. So right there, it just shows me that not only are they throwing the ball more in general, but they're throwing more in the red zone. That's bad for his potential upside in touchdowns. So I wanted to take a look. Next up was, okay, was he just as efficient? Maybe he just had a poor efficiency season. Well, his .63 fantasy points per carry is right on par with his career, .67. So I was like, oh, shit, that's not good. And then his the worst part is he had a better – he scored more fantasy points per reception than he has in the past three seasons. So every time he caught the football, it wasn't like he was just getting caught and catch the ball, gets tackled for five yards. No, he actually had a very efficient season generating fantasy points per reception. So that worries me a little bit because the problem is Dalvin Cook next year is probably going to be a first-round pick again. People are going to try to bet on him again. And knowing this information in my mind, I don't want him in the first round. Now, granted – could he have a little more positive direction in the in the touchdown scoring category? Maybe. But I just pointed out that he, he had 25-plus less carries in the red zone this year on a team, by the way, that had no problem moving the football. It's not like Kirk Cousins lacked for touchdown scoring. He had 29 touchdown passes this year or so. So I am concerned long-term. But consistency-wise, Dalvin Cook did have his big games. He, had a, he was 11th in the percentage of uh, games where he had 20 or more fantasy points. So he was top 12, RB1. But once you start looking at his RB1 finishes, or 15 PPR points or more, he drops to 17th in that category. If you look at him for RB2 finishes, which is about 13, 14 points, he's about 14th. He's all outside. But if you look at his just getting double-digit fantasy points, he only was at 52% of his game. So I think it was nine games. He was at 11 or more PPR points. So that's basically how it looked on FF today, how they break it out. 11 points. He was 52% of his game, so only nine of his 17 games. So that seems weird to me. Like he only – it was a coin flip to get you just like, you know, flex numbers this season. So I'm actually fading Dalvin Cook a little bit next year. I don't think I'm going to be overly excited to draft him necessarily unless he's like a 2-3 turn pick. Then I'm all in. But I don't think that's going to be the case at all. Let's jump down to your next one, Green Bay Packers running back. Do you think that that has something to do with O'Connell knowing uh, the shelf life of a NFL running back, right? The the age and the and the beating. Do you think he reduced that to try to uh, elongate his career? It's possible, but I think it's just his play calling style. They leaned more pass heavy, and it showed up. I mean, it wasn't extremely different, no. But when they got in, I think the key here is that when they got into the red zone, they started throwing the ball more. And in years past with Mike Zimmer and company, they turned and gave it to Dalvin Cook. I mean, the guy had 64 red zone carries just two years ago, and that plummets all the way to 39. 
that's pretty significant. So I just think it's a philosophy change. When you got Justin Jefferson playing, he's they probably thought Justin Jefferson is their best goal line threat. So that's why and, I just yeah. Who's yeah. the best player in Minnesota? It's Justin Jefferson. Yeah, right. And 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 adding T.J. Hawkinson is probably option right. number two. Right. What a fucking nuts, amazing trade that was. They just fleeced the Lions. What a, I mean, what a, a crazy, great trade for them. Uh, and I think they're going to be option one and two in the red zone next year. Justin Jefferson is trending way up, right? And Derek and I are proud of taking him at 1.02 in our home league. Again, They he and Cousins, we had both of them, and they shit the bed in the championship. But I wouldn't change anything, right? You're not going to sit them. Uh, you're not going to start Danny Dimes over uh, Kirk Cousins in the final. You're just not going to do it. Well, uh, yeah. The other thing I just want to point out, too, just so you brought this up, is the TJ Hawkinson was impactful overall too. He only had 50 targets this year on 17. I mean, I'm sorry, 30, uh, 56 targets in 17 games. And the years prior he had 49 and 54 and he only played 13 and 14 games. So he took a step back, even though they threw the ball more, he saw less targets. So that's not good. I mean, the Rams, I guess the Sean McVay offense, I know Todd Gurley had some big seasons, but they didn't really lean into the running backs that much when they have a good tight end. So that's also a problem. This is just notable for Dalvin Cook and why I think he's hands off in the first round next year. Let's jump to your team. I know you got I know you got a lot of gripes this year. Some about those Green Bay Packers running backs. I just want to talk quickly about Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones, positional 80. I'm interested because he actually was not a bust per se, right? Positional ADP, RB11 to start the year. Finishes in PPR points per game, RB11. But he was 19th overall in uh, drafted ADP. He only finished 29th. So there was about minus 10 in overall finish. So he didn't really return the value he wanted. But let's talk about these Packers RB. What's going on? So have you ever heard a quieter 1,121-yard rushing season? Mm-mm. You know, at, Tyler Algier had about 100 less yards than really? Aaron Jones. Tyler Algier's a thing, man. That boy's yeah, got if, if Atlanta keeps trending in the right direction, then he's going to be a, a thing again next year. But I digress. I, I had high hopes for the two-headed monster so that those young receivers, mainly Dobbs and Watson, could learn. And Aaron Rodgers didn't have to drop back and throw the ball 35, 40 times, right? And and Corey Dillon was – or Corey, did you hear that? Freudian slip. Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon, yeah. yeah. Uh, who was an awesome fantasy player during his time. But A.J. Dillon didn't really get the run that he should have until they went on the run where they won like the four or five games in a row. And then he was starting to get more and more carries. He was getting the touchdowns and he was running when it was cold, right? 250, 265-pound dude uh, in the cold. People aren't going to want to tackle him after a while. But I watched Jones play, right? Every game I watched. And he would he would pop off a couple of runs and then he'd disappear for half a quarter. So the, the story out of Green Bay that, that I've read and whatever, if you want to call them insiders or pontificators out of Green Bay, is that his foot was – he was in a lot more pain because of his foot than uh, what he would let on. And, and he would go over and he would get treatment. He would get taped. He would get all those things. But I would watch, I would watch the flashes of Aaron Jones and think, all right, that's the guy. Keep running the football. Keep running the football. And then Matt LaFleur or Aaron Jones or Aaron Rodgers, one of the two, calls the you know the 40-yard bomb on third and one. And, and I just – I've watched them do this for years. I don't get it. Um, I think that Jones is a safe pick 
around where he was drafted this year, I'm I'm good with him. And I probably moved Dylan up a little bit higher than where I had him this year. And I and I didn't have him anywhere where I drafted him because I think he went higher than where I wanted to take him, right in that dead zone, that running back zero uh, area and the dead zone area. And he was gone before that. Um, now, he probably underperformed for where he was drafted, but uh, I'm good with both. I'm, I'm good with Jones after a year of, of sitting, and especially if it's Jordan Love. If it's Jordan Love, I think that Aaron, they're going to lean on the run game a little bit more. Uh, they should have leaned on it, uh, frankly, all day against the Lions, until the Lions quit. All the Lions were doing is playing spoiler in, in, in the last week, and if they would have just kept running and running and running and running sooner or later in that cold, the Lions would have shown us that they're the Lions and they would have quit. But every time this happened during the year, they would run, 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 and then it would just disappear. So, uh, and LaFleur's not going anywhere. Um, I just, I don't think they're going to change anything coaching staff-wise unless they get rid of Joe Barry, which they probably won't because it's the right decision to get rid of him, so they won't do it. Um, (laughs) And, but I'm, I'm good with Jones and Dylan. They just disappointed me as both a Packers homer and based on where I would have drafted Aaron Jones. You said, like he said, his ADP was around 19. He finished around 29. Uh, I'm okay with taking him anywhere in that 19 to 29 window. I'd be ecstatic at 29, and I'd probably be happy at 19, depending on what wide receiver I picked up right before. Yeah, the Packers really just didn't get many carries inside the five. I mean, it, that's what Dylan's specialty is, right? He only had 10 this year. They only had 13 as a team, which is previous three years, 21, 17, 19. So, I mean, that's significant. But he did score a bunch down the stretch. It just yeah. seems like 30 yards and a touchdown. And yeah. when he scores a touchdown, he's like a flex player, which is stupid. Like, I want if a guy scores a touchdown, he needs to be like an RB one borderline. But when he gets thirty five yards and a touchdown, that's that's still like in PPR. He was still like a flex guy. Yeah. So he, I, he had seven. He had seven touchdowns in a really good stretch. But outside of that, he was pretty nondescript, non-existent. He just he was just a dude, right? Yeah. And and yeah. by the way, I, I write an article. Go look at Tony Pollard. You would have rather had Tony Pollard six rounds later than AJ Dillon. Oh, yeah. Pollard, just forget about it. Amazing season. One of the guys we'll probably talk about later when we talk about some steals. All right. DeAndre Swift is this one hurts me more than a lot of things because I was Swift was like my art first round, late first round pick that I wanted across the board. I love DeAndre Swift, um, especially in PPR. And he just can't stay healthy. Like and the coaching staff, you could just tell the way they treated him with kid gloves. After he got hurt after the first or after the second and third week, he gets hurt again, and they just you just see it. He just does not see the ball as much as he did. Week one, 15 carries, 144 yards, three catches in that game, completely dominates. He does not get to 50. He only gets two times the rest of the year. He goes over 10 carries in a game. That's it. Three games the whole year, 10 carries or more. Like freaking absurd. Now, the the thing with Swift when I was looking at it, I'm like, okay. When I got into this, I was pissed. I was like, oh, I can't wait to bash my terrible take. Hate Swift, blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to p- play him again. But he, I have a little different of a story for him than I thought I was going to have. So here's why. When you look at his per stats, like his per touch basis, we're going to talk about per rush. Every time he gets a carry, every time he catches the ball, how many points he generates, he had a very solid season. He had a, eight, like he had right around his league average this year on points per carry. So he was still very efficient 
when he did get those touches. So he was still playing at a pretty high level, even while dealing with some of these injuries. So I was like, okay, that's not too bad. The biggest problem for him was that his touches just went right down. He averaged for the season 10.5 touches per game. That's not going to get it done, especially for a first-round pick, let alone a guy like 10.5 touches per game is like a guy you don't even want to draft in the middle rounds, let alone the first or second round. That's a huge problem because it went up to 16.4 just the year before. So you're like, the other thing with them was I started noticing down the stretch, Justin Jackson was getting involved too much. But over the last two games, you only had one carry per game. You're like, okay, Justin Jackson, maybe he's on the way out. He's done. Jamal Williams, I think even though he's a free agent, he'll be back next year personally. I just think he's too valuable to them as a, as a team. The other thing that really worries me about DeAndre Swift, though, long-term, is that Jamal Williams dominated carries inside the five. He led the NFL with 33. DeAndre Swift had four. That's not a good percentage. When you're not getting – that those high value touches, it's going to be really tough for you to get double digit touchdowns in a season when you're relying on scoring from the 20 yard line. It's not going to work as well. So it does put pause to me on DeAndre Swift because I know Jamal Williams is going to dominate those carries. Now, here's some things that I did like about Swift. His consistency rankings were kind of similar when it came to scoring elite numbers or 20, 23 points. In, I'm sorry, 21 points or more in PPR. He had. Four, he was 14th amongst all running backs in producing those elite games. He was 14th in RB1 games, 18th in RB2 games, 16th in fantasy, uh, 11 points, PPR points or more. So 61% of his game. So somehow, unlimited touches, this guy is still putting up 11 PPR points per game. I don't know how. I'm like, okay. So it gives me some optimism for him. That, yes, even though he was drafted as the RB9, 16th overall, he finishes the RB17 in PPR points per game, finished 41st overall, that I'm interested in seeing where he lands next year. If he's in the third round, I can find myself talking myself into DeAndre Swift because as long as Ben Johnson's back, there's continuity on that offense. Jared Goff, they play a lot of games indoors, so Goff's usually good. So I like that. They have a great offensive line, and I think there's enough to go around Granted, now you got Jameson Williams. You got Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, I can't wait for Irv Smith to come over and do a little revenge on TJ Hawkinson, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, that's just a random fun fact. But here's my final thought on DeAndre Swift. Over the last few games, so he did get hurt. He was removed from the injury report heading into week 12. This is key because that's where things started changing for the better for him. He averaged um, 8.2 carries, four receptions per game. So his touches went up to 12.2. But he, he averaged 14.5 PPR points per game. That's pretty legit numbers. Like, that's borderline RB1 numbers again. So, even on the limited touches, this guy's putting up 14.5 PPR points. So, I, I say to myself, okay, I need to I, – I just – I can't give up on Swift just yet, but I, I am a little concerned about the end of the year because of the touches. But I do think that if he falls to the third round, I'll be taking some DeAndre Swift. Right, let's yeah, so down to let, let's say you, you, you're the, the first pick, right? Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup is your guy. You take him at 101, coming back in the in the second. So you've got the 2-3 turn. You know, are you are you not doing DeAndre Swift and Mike Evans? I mean, I, I, I'm not making – no, 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 Matt. No, no. I'm looking at 2023 right now. Get the hell out of here with this shit. I don't even know. I don't want to think about 2023 yet. I have no idea. I refuse to answer that question. We are focused on 2022. Antonio Gibson, tell me about him. Why is he one of your biggest busts this year? 
So if if we go into the bad news uh, column, right, of the newspaper, right, he, he this guy was running back one for Washington, who had probably way more turmoil the team did than we knew, right? Dan Snyder's a, a car wreck, uh, and and things aren't really copacetic in Washington. But what we knew coming out was if we go running back zero, we're on the hook for a guy like Gibson, and I was good with it. I was happy. I'm, I'll take him. But I don't do running back zero, or at least I didn't in 2022. So, but I'm good with getting him as my RBE three or, you know, down the line after I've loaded up where I want to load up. Then Brian Robinson comes along and wins the job. So his draft stock just plummets. Gibson's plummet. But everybody out there is like, well, but he catches the ball. He was a wide receiver in college, this, that, and the other thing. Okay, well, his draft stock doesn't go up. So, But anybody that drafted late, and I'm talking really, 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 really late, Brian Robinson gets two gunshot wounds. Mm. Antonio Gibson rockets right back up the board, right? So now he's people are drafting him as their RB2 in two running back leagues. Next thing you know, he, he shits the bed. Now, I went back and looked at his numbers. His numbers are relatively consistent with what he's done in the past. But what I didn't know is that what he did in the past wasn't really that good. I don't know what had me sold on the guy. Um, maybe because he, he's so young, uh, maybe because Washington has always been, you know, the John Riggins type, uh, running back team, right. They seem to slog it out with the hogs up front, but I mean, that's been a long, long time, but I don't, I, I went back when I wrote the article today and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I don't know why I was in on this guy. Now I didn't land him anywhere. Cause he went too high. We had two late drafts, but I, I couldn't tell you why. I wanted anything to do with this guy unless he was a running back three or four. And then when I look at his numbers, based on where he ended up getting drafted, uh, he was a bust. He just, he didn't do much of anything. When you're losing significant first down carries to JD McKissick, you may want to reconsider your profession. And McKissick was out so much too. Like it's like he easily, so I'll tell you what it was for me two years ago. It was for me was that Norv Turner and Scott Turner are the bell cow running back guys. They were, they were the ones that launched CMC into superstar. And when he came over in 2018, that, you know, LT, you know, you name LT, the original, the Danian Tomlinson, not LT Lawrence Taylor, which is the original LT, but the Danian Tomlinson, like North Turner, Emmett Smith, like you name it, North Turner had so many bell cows that he also utilized in the passing game elite wise. And you have this kid who was a college receiver. You're like, Oh, this is two plus two equals four. Let's ride. Well, that never happened. And, and the problem was he just made too many turnovers, fumbles. And then they get Brian Robinson, who, by the way, I think Brian Robinson, in my opinion, get it, gets a, he gets shot in the leg. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, he, what a marvelous story. He comes back and he starts – and then he doesn't play well. And everyone's like, well, Brian Robinson's really not playing. He just got shot in the leg. Like, oh, you know, the fact that he's on the field, the fact that he's on the field, like – I, I can't wait to get Brian Robinson two, three rounds later than he's supposed to go next year. Well, we'll see who's the hell's the OC for the Washington Commanders, but I think that's why. But anyway, final thoughts about Antonio Gibson? Uh, I'm not touching him. Yeah, same here. I agree. All right, that's it, folks. This is our first episode of what happened to Jonathan Taylor and all the running back busts from 2022. Next week, we'll probably drop in wide receivers and talking about what the hell happened? We'll figure it out. Which who was the biggest wide receiver bust in the first few rounds? Do we have a do we have a key guy? I haven't really thought about it. Do you have one in mind? Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Tune in next week. 
We'll figure it out next week, folks. But once again, make sure you join us on the Rasball Fantasy YouTube channel. We'll be here all off-season long, dropping knowledge from football. We also have basketball, hockey, and baseball. So hop over to Rasball.com to check out all the great articles from guys like Matthew Styles. You can follow him at Styles08 on Twitter. Make sure you join us again. Thanks again. We are out of here.